So thank you all for coming to Cock Talk. He has trouble counting change with the with the with the hands thing. Wait, wait, stop. Sorry. Yes, but I don't yeah. think that Dana Carvey's movie um, coming out at that same time was really that big a problem for our country. I still don't know why you're making such a big deal about September 11th, 2001. I mean, I fucking hate you. Well, you know, they don't necessarily need to be anathema, but they are definitely on different ends of the spectrum. Oh boy, how? See, I have every, a genetic predisposition every, against redheads, so because yeah, because you are one, right? Yeah, combustion. Yeah, we've yeah. heard it before. Yep. The only time I change the setting so, is when so, I take the okay. uh, hair trimmer down to the nether regions. Like that's the only time. Other than that, it's all just a two. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I just don't know how about you all? I'm joking. I use V. After the four Gospels, what's the next book of the Bible? Acts. Okay. And after that, it's Romans, isn't it? I'm drunk. Um, yeah, Romans. Okay, yeah. Yes. Okay. And if you look at the 15th chapter of Romans, okay, uh, you will find that it actually mentions uh, the ability to arm yourself. That's why it's AR-15. Thank you. Checkmate atheists. And, and anytime there's action in the ring, Scott Hall is taking all the bumps because Kevin Nash kind of sucks as a worker. <laughs> As far as news of things going on uh, in my life right now, um, the biggest thing I can think of in this moment is that I'm really, really way too excited, more excited than a man my age ought to be, uh, about the upcoming uh, release of new models and a new rule book for the Eldar in Warhammer 40k. So longtime listeners to the show know that I am the 40k nerd of the of the two of us here. And so, yeah, the, the Eldar are the first army I ever actually started really seriously collecting and playing, and they haven't gotten new models in literally 20 years. So this is this is a really big deal. And yeah, I'm I'm a dork. So no surprise to anybody who knows me, but there we go. And who are you, sir? I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a Latin teacher and a drama teacher up here in Northern California. Uh, and a couple things. Number one, I didn't realize that Warhammer 40K uh, had a crossover with the Spanish dub version of Beastmaster. So that's cool. Okay, wait. Eldar? Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, yeah. So, All right. I see it. Uh, I see it. And uh, if anybody's keeping score, that is about two minutes in. Yeah, uh, I was about to ask. Okay, yeah. so there we go. Now, now uh, we actually had harvest um, just last week. So, oh yeah, the donuts popped up. Um, yes, and uh, we planted them three weeks ago. Uh, the, we used honey nut Cheerios this time because the kids wanted them to be sweeter donuts. Uh, we dug them, we planted them, uh, and then the the holes popped up. They decided to eat three. 
um, and they were going to share them with their friends, but then they were worried that donuts were not halal, so we did not do that. Indeed. Uh, yep. As, discussing as is, that. Yes. Yeah, it was really cool to see them kind of think that through, and then we're waiting until next week, and uh, if the rains come, it might be jelly-filled. Otherwise, it'll probably just be plain, but they will be cake in their form. So Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, and uh, Very with cool. us... With us tonight, uh, we have a special guest. Um, uh, so I, I would say he is at least tied for the most educated uh, guest that we've ever had. Certainly the most educated amongst the three of us. Um, and uh, I, just a little bit of a narrative. I was going to do a deep dive on The Punisher uh, yeah. because it's time. Uh, yes. And then I saw this gentleman on TikTok uh, that I've been following for the last year. Uh, and he was talking about a paper he was writing on the Punisher. And I said, you know what? I don't want to do all that work. I'll talk to somebody who already did it. Uh, mm -hmm. Reached out uh, to uh, Dr. D Gabriel Cruz uh, from North Carolina, uh, professor of communications, and asked if he wanted to join us. And uh, here he is. Uh, Dr. Cruz, welcome. Uh, yeah. So uh, my name is Gabriel Cruz, and I am a university lecturer at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. Um, my PhD is in media and communications. My area of research is primarily superhero narratives, uh, usually looking at them through like a lens of uh, race, class, and gender. And I also do a secondary uh, area of interest in research in white nationalist propaganda and political movements because I'm determined to just not have good days. Um, <laughs> and my latest endeavor is about whether or not I can trademark the phrase gunmetal genitalia as that connects to our discussion today. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I saw your it was either your note or your or you, you actually saying it on TikTok and that's yeah. that's an absolutely wonderful I, I love it and I, and I just I want to say I haven't gotten a chance to nerd out about this yet but I'm a huge fan of of your work on TikTok like yeah. huge huge so thank you very much for joining us this is awesome thank you it's always nice to know that when I'm hollering into the void someone is listening oh most <laughs> yeah. definitely yeah. oh yeah no, it, the, the email exchange uh, between Ed and I was, yeah, Ed, here's the guy, guy. He's like, holy shit, you got him? And I was like, yep, that's right. How'd you do it? I reached out. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it goes to show, folks, if, if, you, if you are doing something that's incredibly niche, you can reach out to people who are experts in your niche. And very often, especially if they're communications professors, uh, and lectures, they will want to talk more about it in their off time too. So, oh yeah, okay. I, 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 people really got to understand that. Like, if you're if you're doing what I'm doing, and I'm my job is an excuse to like read uh, comics and watch Netflix and write about it and go to conferences. Um, <laughs> we're in the wrong anyone job. At, yeah, anyone we're at totally the, in the wrong job. <laughs> anyone at this level of education is a huge friggin' nerd. And what do nerds what do nerds love more than just talking about stuff with anybody? So that's true. Yeah. That's true. Not wrong. Not <laughs> yeah. at all wrong. Yeah. I mean, we we were irritating everybody at our gaming table for a year. And then finally <laughs> I just turned to him. I'm like, why aren't we doing this on a podcast? And I didn't and, have a good retort to that. So yeah. here we are. Yeah. So 145, <laughs> 46 episodes. Something. Later. Yeah. Yeah. So uh normally what we do is I will dive deep into some sort of 1800s uh, explanation of cartooning or something like that to uh, then bring us up in three hours to the actual topic. Um, but uh, <laughs> you're better organized than I am. Um, so I was going to kind of run through a, just a, a briefish history of, of the Punisher comic itself. Um, and uh, we could have actually talked about this off air, but 
we're not professionals. Uh, but uh, and and then we get to the uh, the TV series. But I'm I'm assuming that you have a ton of knowledge of the actual comic itself as well. Um, a, a fair in the middle, and you know, okay. the Punisher is one of those characters who's been running at this point for fifty years, and yes. I've read a fair amount of comics, but it's it's nowhere near all of them. But I have you know I have a good feeling for the character, and uh, I've got thoughts to share with y'all. So sure, yeah. okay. That's, Do you? I, I gotta yeah. ask. Do you remember the run where he was black? I've read about that run, okay, um, and I haven't read it for the same reasons I haven't read Frankencastle. Okay, um, so <laughs> I just, I just don't know if I want my feelings hurt. Like, <laughs> like, I, like, okay, you guys remember Dexter's Laboratory, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Nah, that so, me, but yeah. uh, uh, what's his name? Tartoski, the yeah, the guy yeah, Gendy Tartakovsky, yeah, right. He wrote a Luke Cage comic, mm. all right. And I was like, oh, this is cool. I want to pick this up. I did. It was terrible. It hurt me physically oh, to read it. Ooh. It was just all the stereotypes from the 1970s, but without any of the heart or soul behind it. And it was oh. just, it was so bad. And so now I'm like, uh, anytime this looks good on paper, I don't know. Yeah, it was, <laughs> I, I will tell That's, you, the, that hurts. The I'm one sorry, where he's, he's black. That is mm -hmm. it was when they were doing two for a month in the summers so it was mm -hmm. about a seven issue series it actually mm -hmm. introduced the luke cage comic for the 90s okay because uh the punisher invariably mm -hmm. he gets pulled over by the police because he falls asleep at the wheel mm -hmm. uh, the, the whole idea is that he basically um got out of rikers and he went to a a street surgeon at like you do Mm -hmm. uh, and said, I don't even want my own uh, mother to recognize me. So she injected melanin into, into his skin. <laughs> Translates to black. Right. right. Oh, and, and, and she styled his hair and, and all this. It, it was, oh. That's. It so, was right when I started wow. reading comics. This is, this is a slight bit of attention, but it connects to this. Yeah. Are you guys familiar with the Black Bomber? I am not. You've heard of this? Okay, yeah. so the, the Black Bomber was the pitch for DC's first black superhero. All right, so this is like early 1970s. Okay. Um, oh, uh, what's his name? The, the gentleman who created Black Lightning was a part of the pitch team, right? And okay. someone suggested and even wrote a script out for uh, Tony Isabella. That was his name. Okay. Uh, he didn't write this. He actually put an end to it. But someone wrote a script and pitched the idea of a white supremacist who hated black folks and had served in Vietnam and agent orange gave him this superpower where he could say a particular racial slur and then transform into a black man with superpowers. But he didn't know like the consciousness of the white version and the black version were separated. So it's and like the Hulk, but racist. Yes. And but then after like an hour, he would revert back to the white guy. So and Tony Isabella was a white American and would have, would create uh, Black Lightning in 1977 was like, no, we're not doing this. <laughs> this is not a thing. And what's great about it is I think it's I think it's Dwayne McDuffie, one of the uh, comics creators who has passed on, um, who's African-American gentleman who has makes references to it. In mm -hmm. some of the DC comics, there's like two or three panels where someone's like, and who are you? And he's like, oh, I'm the brown bomber. And my powers are no one cares. And then they move on to the next thing. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. good. That's anyway, great. Oh, good. To the point at hand. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, he uh, so Frank Castle is, is black for a while. And she, of course, doesn't have actual medicine or charts or any sterile uh, equipment. And so, of course, in, I think an infection sets in. He needs antibiotics, but she gives him heroin. Uh, which exists in pills. 
Um, and uh, okay, and it and takes so, a lot to render me speechless, but this has done it. Yeah, That's like and wow, so he falls asleep at the wheel. The police get him for you know swerving, and and then they proceed to beat him up. And Luke Cage is driving by, sees a bunch of police in a comic book in 1992, 1993, beating up on a black man. So it's, you know, and that's that's at least the second time that Marvel is referencing um, uh, the the uh, the the Rodney Mm -hmm. King uh, riots and the attack on Rodney King by the police, Um, because Nomad also like stopped Uh a burning fire during rooting during looting. Um, But uh, basically, Luke Cage bends one of the guns, gets shot in the hand. He's like, you know, it does hurt. Just stop it. And and then he frees. And then they become like a buddy cop series for a couple mm-hmm. issues. And and then Frank Castle is Frank Castle. So he ends up splitting ways and then he lightens up essentially. The, literally. Yes. The... But not figuratively at all. No. And, and I think that the, the starting event was in Rikers. He got carved up by Jigsaw. Jigsaw was okay. like, I want to make you look like me. That's yes. why he needed to have reconstructive surgery. Gotcha. Okay. So then he literally wow. went back to being white after about seven issues. That's that's for the best of all parties involved. Um, and I'm just thinking because <laughs> for my dissertation, I read, um, I think most, maybe a dozen or so comics of the 1992 Luke Cage run. Mm-hmm. And, and that is a particular version of Luke Cage because each time they reinvent him, they try to make him like topical for the time. And it is right. very clearly like an attempt at getting at, he's a, he's an angry black man fighting racists everywhere, but he's mm-hmm. also sort of paranoid a little bit yes uh and that's just that's when he linked up with dakota north right yes i think so yeah yeah there's that diamond tipped guy with the nails that would shoot at you yeah it was such a weird run oh it was. such a weird run. anyway but let's the we were here to talk about the punisher right <laughs> yeah yeah sure yeah. this is how we do uh so the punisher was uh, a comic book uh character uh that was inspired by the executioner uh, who was a Vietnam vet who was a sniper named Mac Bolin, uh, who became a serial killer of mafia criminals after his family was killed by the mafia, uh, which debuted th- this book series debuted in uh, 1969 as a monthly serial uh, action adventure paper book. Um, and uh, as of December of 2020, it had 464 novels. So now, I'm sure now by, by yeah. novel, each one mm-hmm. of them is, you know, yeah, the size of a sure. the size of a, a babysitter's club book. Yeah. I've, I've seen these thing. in the yeah. wild. You know, yeah, a couple yeah. hundred pages. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, novella maybe. Uh, yeah. So the author, uh, the original author, was a guy named Don Pendleton, uh, who wrote the first dozen or so. Uh, now Pendleton, I found this fascinating because it fits everything that Ed has ever t- taught me about authors of sci-fi. Uh, he like. Um, in 1942, he enlisted into the Navy uh, at the age of 14. Okay, I uh, mean there was a war on, but that that's pretty. Right. So a, that's a literal child soldier. Yes. Yeah, that's that's. <laughs> so, he must have been a big lad. Yeah, a I, child I, sailor at least. But yeah, 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 big lad, and the recruiter had really bad eyesight. <laughs> Or a quoted it, Phil. <laughs> or, a quote, yeah, or, right. or yes, that too. Because um, um, by, by the 1940s, uh, mm-hmm. no no modern Navy had cabin boys or powder monkeys anymore. So I don't know why right. you'd want to do that, but okay. Well, well, was yeah. it, wasn't like two thirds of the folks who fought in World War II drafted. So like, right. 
Yeah. Yeah, they were hard up, I guess. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. Well, well, you know, I, if, I, if you walk in and volunteer, they're like, well, we're not going to stop you. Yeah, front of you line. Know? Yeah. And in all honesty, uh, a a large majority of people in the 1930s would have been classified. Like they, they did a bit of a study for the CCC because one of the things the CCC's knock-on effect was it actually got people healthy enough to join the army. Uh, because so many of them would have not been healthy enough to join the army. There was like because of widespread malnourishment and right. and everything going on because of the depression. Yeah, no, no social safety net, no standing yeah. army needs, you know, stuff like that as well. Um, but yeah, at fourteen, he he joins the navy. Um, this is according to his biography, by the way. So, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, take a salt lick with that. Um, yeah. Now, uh, we have writers who are coming out of World War II, like Pendleton, Roddenberry, Heinlein, and Serling. Um, Pendleton, uh, so, which I just found fascinating. There's a whole dearth, dearth, or? No, glut would be glut. better. Yeah. The opposite of dearth, yes. Or plethora. Plethora. Oh, there you go. Now, that means a lot. Thank you. Um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's so Good cool day. to see two people cringing. Good now. day. <laughs> Uh, uh, like uh, like Ed, I'm Catholic, and I believe that suffering is a part of my faith. And so that was. We, I'm glad to be able to validate both of your faiths. <laughs> Thank you. So that makes me. An I feel of seen. God. So it could be. Yeah, yeah. Well, we all know I'm a tool. So God, I'm drinking. You said uh, it. You said it, not me. You did. So I've anyway. also been called worse by better. Uh, so Pendleton was considered the originator of the action adventure novel, by the way. He's kind of the, the, the main guy that we associate the, the thing with. I'm not okay. saying he was the first, but he's the, uh, Ed, you call it the codifier. The codifier, trope right. codifier. Um, he later I licenses... don't call it that. TV Tropes does. Okay, That's, well, there you I, go. I don't want to steal their thunder. Um, he later licensed the character uh, and the series in 1980, and, he, and it continued on for another 40 years. Um, interesting just because I like to dig deep on these people, uh, Pendleton turned to metaphysical writing, writing metaphysical books with his wife, including a book on channeling spirits conversing with them, thus completing the weird circle of life. Now, I did an episode on the Dark Crystal, and there is a bit of overlap here with people coming out of World War II getting into metaphysics in the 1960s and 70s. Now, part of it's because metaphysics was big in the 1960s and 70s, and it's easy to hop from one lily pad to the other. I also think that uh, we didn't have the lost generation like we did in World War One, but you do have a lot of people who are all the meaning and all the, this makes sense this way, this way, this way, kind of got shaken a bit. And so I think there was or completely destroyed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I, I think you're soft pedaling a little bit there. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yeah. And so he goes from writing the executioner to channeling spirits. Huh. Okay. Yeah. All right. uh, he later claimed that he considered the executioner to be a metaphysical study of violence. Um, and this to me feels like, um post facto justification yeah yeah it, it really does um yeah. and and because you know i i think if if i were writing about channeling spirits and people were um challenging me going like but didn't you write this book about this guy yes i did and here's how that fits in with this instead of saying well i've changed or i've grown or i'm different now or mm -hmm. I, I need to pay my mortgage um <laughs> like, money money dear boy yes yeah. the greater 
the greater Pendleton cinematic universe is what yeah there, there you go yeah, yeah. the oh, GPU yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the GPSU I guess uh so he also claimed that Mac Boland was a hero I find that fascinating uh since he's a serial killer uh so then we we jump cut to Jerry Conway uh who was writing for Spider-Man uh or Spider-Man uh I it autocorrects it to take out the hyphen so mm-hmm. it always just looks like the last name to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Leo Spiderman of the Boston <laughs> Spidermans. Uh, it goes but, along with Peter Parker being coded as Jewish, like that. yeah, yeah, yeah kind of absolutely yeah, okay, does. Yeah, yeah. yeah, of the of the Queen's Spiderman, Spiderman. Yeah, so okay, yeah. Uh, but he's writing for Spider-Man in 1974. He claimed that he didn't steal this character wholesale. Uh, and in interviews about a decade and a half later, Stan Lee also claimed that he meant the Punisher to be a hero. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, anytime, yeah. anytime Boy, Stan weighs in, it just muddies the waters. <laughs> he that's... he strikes me as as part carnival barker and part guy who trades on the idea that he's the trusty uncle. Stanley is was rest his soul. Mm-hmm. Um, was did a lot of great things for comics and was mm-hmm. a very likable personality. Yeah. The problem is he was also notorious for giving the fans what they wanted, whether or not it was the truth. Yes. Yeah. That's a really good summation. I, like I, that I used a lot. to, yeah. I used to teach an after school program and I did it on comics and the guy, the floor below me taught them how to draw comics and I taught them the history. So we did the, you know, the theory mm-hmm. and then the practicum. And I did an entire lecture on, I think it was uh, just on Luke Cage. Um, and I, I kept coming back to like every third slide is remember, this is a white guy thinking he knows what black guys are like. And this is, you know, and, and so yeah. just kept coming back and, and representation is very important. And sometimes the first version of it ain't going to be good. And, and keep in mind your, your, your narrator here is Stan Lee. Like, yeah, he's a white guy thinking he's mm-hmm. writing for black guys. So. Or even even worse, um, you know, uh, Luke Cage was originally uh, created by Archie Goodwin and a couple mm-hmm. others. And Archie Goodwin was uh, he was a veteran. I forget of which war. I don't know that it was World War One, World War Two. It might have been Korea. Um, but and by the way, he has some amazing comics about what it's like to actually serve in war. Some that were mm-hmm. so grounded in reality and complex and and all that sort of stuff that they were banned on px uh uh stores like military bases would not sell them it was called blazing combat and they would not sell them because they were too humanizing uh of the oh wow yeah so like for example there was one where um it's an anthology series and there's a story of american gis going through i think a french battlefield um there's a german soldier who's wounded the gis happen across him the they shoot the the german and kill him and they the german shoots one of the americans and wounds him very badly and so they carry him away and someone says what do we do about the german do we just leave him here and the one of the gi says no it's not our problem no one's going to miss him and then the last shot is actually the uh, german soldier holding a locket with his wife and child in it um and that's a story he was telling in the 1970s right wow so, but what's interesting then is bear that in mind and the complexity of the stories that he tells mm-hmm. uh, with the fact that in 72, when he was writing, um, when he was writing Luke Cage, he was, um, he went to black exploitation 
movies. That was his inspiration. Uh, Steve Englehart, one of the co-writers um, who picked up after Goodwin, uh, says in the uh, in the forward to the Marvel Masterworks collection of Luke Cage of Hero for Hire, the first series, that we were a bunch of white guys who didn't know how to write black folk, and so we watched like Superfly and right. Sweet Sweetback and Shaft, <laughs> Dolomite, you know, yeah. and Dolomite, exactly right, and like Foxy Brown and stuff like that to get mm-hmm. an idea. That was our closest experience. What was even funny, but also heartbreaking about that is that the inker was a fellow named Billy Graham, not to be confused with the reverend. Uh, <laughs> or the wrestler? Or the wrestler. Or the wrestler. Okay. okay. Uh, but the... Uh, was hopeful. But Billy Graham <laughs> was the inker, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, he traces everything in ink and all that kind of stuff. And he was African-American. And it was probably six months to a year before he had any input in any of the stories. Wow. Um, oh, so, and, my and, God. To Englehart's credit, when he took over as like the lead writer, he was like, you know, Bill, you should you should probably help write these stories. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Did Bill just like pull out a tome and be like, well, as a matter of fact, <laughs> I have some notes. Like, <laughs> I may know a thing or two, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. <somebody>. Good <laughs> Lord. That's I mean, that absolutely the, the thing about the black exploitation films absolutely fits with what I remember reading because I've got the the Marvel Ultimate Access, mm-hmm. you know, app. Um, uh, and I've read, you know, some of the old Luke Cage stuff, the old Heroes for Hire uh, or Hero for Hire. It's heroes mm-hmm. once he joins the white guy who knows mystical kung fu. Um, fist, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, old, uh, old uh, was it David Carradine? But yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. So, geez. Oh, geez. That that show, by the way, they had a reboot of it in the 90s. Oh, I remember. Yeah. And and what I loved was that David Carradine was fatter, older and slower. And they didn't bother to speed up the film or anything. They just made him tell parables while he was fighting. So he gets trapped into a pit fight and he just starts with, did I ever tell you the story of the eagle and the bear? And he punched like Mm -hmm. almost Tai Chi speed. And it still flummoxed the giant Russian guy. And I'm like, what are you doing some Cold War shit here? Like, <laughs> David just... <laughs> Carradine did what Ola, uh, oh, what's his name? Um, um, oh, God, the action hero with the ponytail. Crap. Oh, Steven Seagal. Seagal. Steven Seagal, Seagal should have, yeah. what Seagal should have done 30 years ago. Uh, Hanged himself. It's not. <laughs> oh, Jesus. No. Well, Matt, I mean, I was saying, I'm not going to king shame. Wow. But, uh, I didn't mean the final time. I just thought you meant like as a habit. Like I was talking about like taking a back seat and let someone else take over and just be the old mentor oh. in the background. That's, yeah, also that. Yeah, yeah. yeah that too. I'm just that saying too. Seagal needs to relax a little. And a bit. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. <laughs> wow. So. That got dark. Yeah. Boy, okay. Howdy. So who's who's up for some NSX? Uh, so. Um. So Jerry Conway is, <laughs> is writing for Spider-Man. Um, and uh, like I said, Stan Lee said, you know, this guy's a hero. And, and uh, here's what Jerry Conway had to say. He said, quote, I was fascinated by the Don Pendleton executioner character, which was fairly popular at the time. And I wanted to do something that was inspired by that. Although not, not to my mind, a copy of it. I'm going to break in here for just a second. That's the classic. I was doing a homage. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, back into the quote. And while I was doing the Jackal storyline, the opportunity came for a character who would be used by the Jackal to make Spider-Man's life miserable. The Punisher seemed to fit. 
I think that there's uh, a little bit of self-protection in the beginning, but I think the rest of it, it's, it's, you know, he's, he's encasing his fable into the truth. Cause I think that's precisely what he did. Like Punisher yeah. mm-hmm. was there to make Spider-Man's life hard, uh, yeah. which I think feeds right into the TV series. Like that's why he shows up in the daredevil, mm-hmm. not just as fan service of like, Oh, Hey, cool. We're doing all the heroes of New York, but, um, but also like he legitimately made daredevil's life hard in that season. Um, I, I, I liked how I, I very often like how in Star Wars they will absolutely borrow from the EU um, and they'll pluck the good stuff out of all the bad and they'll just throw it into the movies and regurgitate it in a different way and stuff. And I love when they do that because I don't mind being serviced as a fan like that because um, most people won't have seen those books anyway. So I don't mind stuff like that. But when you take someone's character wholesale, I mean, again, it's Darkseed and Thanos, you know? Yeah, right. So from Stan Lee, he said, quote, Jerry Conway was writing a script and he wanted a character that would turn out to be a hero later on. And he came up with the name of the assassin. And I mentioned that I didn't think we could ever have a comic book where the hero would be called the assassin because there's just too much of a negative connotation to that word. So I think mm-hmm. these are in conflict, ultimately, because mm-hmm. Stan Lee is saying, like, you know, he would turn out to be a hero. And Con- uh, Conway is, is not saying necessarily that he thinks that this guy's a hero i think that there's some fudging going on but like you said it's stanley he well and i i I think i think also there's there's the issue of of stanley reading his own press drinking his own kool-aid perhaps yeah Yeah. um and i think uh his his desire to remember in a particular way Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. is subconsciously self-serving as well so i i, I think i think a, a part of the root of that conflict could be could also be you know that aspect of it yeah as mm-hmm. well i think there's a there's an interesting thing with stanley whenever you take into account his perspectives and that is it and we, we talked about this in one of my classes i'm teaching which is sort of a I got free reign to teach a freshman seminar class. And I was like, well, we're just going to get weird with it. Um, so it's, <laughs> it's an intro to comic studies class, which the university has no point of reference for at like any part. Right. Sure. Um, but they signed off whatever. So um, we, I was talking to my students. I said, well, we have these two quotes from Stan Lee. The first one is like in the early 2000s, circa the, the X-Men movies. Right. Okay. When he says that like the mutants and the X-Men were this interesting way to deal with issues of metaphors of like race and like mm-hmm. things like that. And he was inspired by the things going on in the civil rights movement, this, that, and the other. And then you fast forward into 2014, right? So 14 years later. Mm-hmm. And he says, um, yeah, I thought it was a neat idea, but I had never planned it that way from the beginning. Right. So it's his own continuity errors. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I've always kind of fallen back again on like, I, you know, there's there certainly, as, as Ed and I uh, very often say, it's in the zeitgeist when he was mm-hmm. writing it. You know, it's the, the background in the wallpaper, it's the wallpaper in the background that, you know, you, you might not notice. Civil rights was happening outside of his windows, uh, you know, from, from, the, from his building. Um, it doesn't mean he actively was going in to do stuff, but it could have been influencing what he was doing. And it's it's far kinder to him and his memory to not interpret uh, the original X-Men series as directly inspired by the civil rights movement. Because if yes. you do, it gets real unfortunate real quick. <laughs> I mean, this is true. Yes. Yeah. 
And I, uh, I think we did an X Men uh, civil rights oh, yeah, and long. gay rights episode. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and I, I, I'd like to think I need to go back and listen and see how bad we we I bungled it because um, I handled <laughs> the civil rights aspect of it. Um, but I think I said, and Ed, correct me if I'm making this up and Stan Leeing my way through it. Um, I think I said something along the lines of um, he was informed by the times he was seeing, but he was not actually. His, his use of Magneto, who, you know, later is called a stand in for Malcolm X, uh, that's a little bit more retconny as well. But his use of Magneto is you have a separatist and separatism existed at the time. You have a separatist. Um, but to white people at that time, that would have seemed evil. And so separatism can seem evil. And then the fact that he's dressed in orange means, you know, he's got a buggy moral code. And the fact that he's a purple means he's he's, you know, he's a leader of sorts. Um, but he is evil because separatism was not something white people could understand if it wasn't in their own context of segregation. Uh, and therefore, um, that the only way that the separatism could be seen was as evil. Um, whereas Professor X was, you know, more of an integrationist, and that was more palatable to white people who were looking at both things. It's, you know, it's the the mm-hmm. relatively, and therefore, that's why it was more okay to represent integrationism with Professor X. But I also don't think he set out to actually do it on purpose. Mm. You know. Yeah. Yeah. One, I just want to say we're, we're going to need to adopt Stan Leeing as a verb in that context I so. going forward. Yeah. I think I think we, we've determined that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Also, um, I think in this case, you you are accurately summarizing okay. what I remember from your argument there. So can confirm thank you uh so uh now i want to talk about new york in the 1970s for a bit in the 70s it was not the gentrified police state with neon that we know it as today uh it was much less neon-y in the 1970s so it was different uh, in 1965 there were 18 million people <laughs> am i wrong uh, <laughs> well the police state part i don't think you're wrong about but the gentrified part the 70s that's not i don't know Okay, uh, fair, okay, fair. I'm I mean, just thinking, you know, Queens was much more white than it was Afro-Dominican. Okay, fair. Like All right. Yeah. yeah. All right. So in 65, there were 18 million people in New York, in the New York area. Uh, and there were 58,802 violent crimes. Uh, there were 836 murders. There were 27,464 aggravated assaults and 28,182 robberies. In 1970... Roughly the same amount of people, but now 124,613 violent crimes. Now there were 100 or there were 14,444 uh, murders. And there were 39,145 aggravated assaults. And there were 81,149 more uh, uh, robberies. So stuff is just flying through the roof as far as the, the rates go. Huge increases. And they're most definitely in the in the public consciousness it is a thing it is a meme in new york that crime is so big um and interestingly i think that this actually may have fed more into nixon's campaign in 72 uh for being the law and order dog whistler that he was um uh, you know you had the hard hat riots in, in 1970 so you have people already convulsing uh on one side uh violently and then calling out the violence of those people um, is real easy to do when you know people like to tell on themselves or what they're going to do. 
Now, New York was still lagging behind Miami and San Francisco that year, by the way, when it came to all of these stats. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Now, so it's so it's funny that in the, it's funny that in the popular conception, New York was like Dante's Inferno. Yeah. You know, whereas I think it's a nobody talked about too. San Francisco. Okay. Right. Yeah. So okay. it's a volume issue. It's also uh, a compression issue. It, and I say that knowing that San Francisco is one of the most compressed cities there is. Um, but yeah, it's. Well, I think I think I'm, I'm going to interject here. I think part of it is um, th- all of the all of the major news networks at the time were headquartered in New York. Very good so point. everybody who was writing the news, everybody who was involved in informing the zitgeist. Mm hmm. Yeah, that was what was going on literally outside their window, like you talked about with, you know, Lee uh, Stanley in the in the, mm-hmm. in the 60s, yeah. all all the reporters, all the news writers were seeing mm-hmm. how bad it was in New York. And so New York was what got all the attention. I think New York has an outsized presence in our popular imagination because of the fact that yeah. a whole lot of the people who write our entertainment are there. All our comics are based there. That yeah. that makes sense, especially when you think about things like um, Alan Moore's Watchmen being set in New York City, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, in what, 1986, I want to say? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 And I mean, name a hero in Marvel that's not in New York. It's It takes a bit. There's Great Lakes Avengers. Called... What's that? I was going to say. Hmm? Great Lakes Avengers. Yep. I was going to say, there's a reason they're called the Great Lakes and the West Coast Avengers and not the Avengers. That's a good point. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. true. Yeah, it's right. like, yeah. The default yeah. is New York. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They, yeah. That's, mm-hmm. They're the norm. Uh, okay. So in 74, population is still the same. Um, and I, the reason I'm picking 74 is is uh, Punisher. Yeah. Um, violent crime in New York goes up to 145,427 uh, instances. Now, Again, what are they saying? Sixty-five. It was fifty-eight thousand. So we're talking a triple increase uh, within a in a decade. Yeah. Uh, murder climbed to nineteen hundred and nineteen. Uh, aggravated assault was fifty-four thousand five hundred ninety-three. Robbery actually uh, went up as well to uh, ninety-three thousand four hundred ninety-nine. The incline is steep. I would even say stark. Immigration. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, now that continues with a few dips, uh, again, uh, and then increases again into the early 1990s. Uh, and at this time you see the Punisher as well as the guardian angels come in, uh, the guardian angels come in at 79, I believe, but the Punisher comes in, um, and, uh, sorry, I just kicked my heater. Uh, so, uh, now Punisher comes in, but he is a guest villain. But I do think it's interesting. You're starting to see this move toward a vigilante idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, now Punisher doesn't become a comic book series, I think, until you get a mini series in 86. Uh, and by then, the population in New York had actually declined um, and violent crime went up again. So you have a population decrease and an increase in, in violent crime to 175,210 instances. Uh, murder is holding steady. It literally was eight off from the last time. Um, and there were 400,000 fewer New Yorkers yet. Uh, robberies were also holding steady, even though the population dropped. Robberies were just over 90, 91,000. And aggravated assaults soared to 76,528. 
Um, now that was 86. So if we want to go back a year when people are writing these things and planning these things, um, aggravated assaults are still well above the 74 numbers um, and everything else is holding very steady. So in 86, we also see in November of 85, actually, the emergence of crack uh, in, in New York into the public consciousness, um, especially in the Washington Heights area of New York. Um, you also see uh, the heads of the five families in New York uh, brought up on charges for the first time. The Bonanos, the Colombos, the Gambinos, the Genoveses, and the Lucchese's. Uh, the Unabomber uh, dropped two albums that year. Uh, and uh, Richard Ramirez was caught in August of 85. And also in December of 85, crime bosses Big Polly Castellano and Tommy Bilotti are killed in Manhattan in an unsanctioned hit uh, I believe in broad daylight, uh, putting John Gotti in charge of the Gotti family. So you've got this confluence of all of this crime, especially and certain kinds of crime keep just just flooding and 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 crashing into the public consciousness. Mafia crime, drug crime, um, and then just violent street crime. Uh, you have uh, mm -hmm. uh, Central mm -hmm. Park rapists and stuff like that. You've got a lot of things just just feeding into this. Um, which is important because in the initial run, the Punisher was being made much more extreme due to mind-altering drugs. Somebody was actually putting mind-altering drugs into him. And that, mm. that yeah, that gets us to 1987, uh, which is when you have your first actual series called The Punisher. And in 88, The War Journal comes out. Uh, right. and, that, right, right. And, and then in 92, Punisher War Zone comes out. And they all last until 1995. And then it cuts off. Um, the only other series I know that had the same character featured, but with multiple names, is Spider-Man. Amazing, spectacular, web of, and then I, there was a fourth one, but I forget which one it, what it was. Okay, I, mm. I think you need to add a caveat there because mm. that's in Marvel, the sure. only single character with that many series. Right, that's the only but, comic that exists. I don't see what the just, Dude, how many episodes <laughs> did we spend talking about fucking Batman? Way too many. Yeah. <laughs> Batman at some point is his own like publishing house. Like, that's <laughs> at, really, it's at some point. I yeah. thought Dark Knight yeah. Comics was just them doing a subsidiary of Batman when I first saw yeah. it. Fun, fun yeah. fact, there is no actual DC. It's just Batman and Friends. Um, nice. With, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. God almighty. <laughs> yeah, actually, I remember that was the original name uh, of the uh, Australian rock band. It was AC Batman. Mm-hmm. Nice, no. nice, <laughs> nice. Not even mad uh, about that one. That's good. I do want to make, make one small addendum to your please. comics yeah, history there, please. Damien. And that is that Marvel had a series called uh, Marvel Super Action, which was a, a short run limited series. So they mm. would do like three or four issues at a time of, or depending on the, the comic, whatever. So like Captain America had one, I think that was volume two, but volume number one was The Punisher. Oh. where he had a four issue arc and that was in 1975. Um, okay. and, and what I like about that is mm -hmm. that series is that yeah, it's good writing and it's, it's interesting and it makes, it's a very different Frank Castle than the one that we get when he solos his own series. It's a lot more calm and restrained version of Castle. One who's actually capable of like human attachment. I think he has a very small love arc in that story. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Um, it lasts for like an issue, maybe two. Okay. Um, and uh, but what's interesting is in the forward to it, there's a great summation of the character. It's probably my favorite description of the character by Archie Goodwin, again the writer again, I talked about yeah. before, because he wrote this series, and it 
I'm paraphrasing, but effectively he says that the Punisher is a solution that is worse than the problem that created him. Yeah. I like that a lot. I do too. And he says, you know, he satisfies, he says what makes the character compelling is that he satisfies a part of us that wants to engage in action, that wants to engage in decisive, you know, uh, uh, action that is not overthought. It is done quickly and then finally, and then you move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. But that if we were to act this way as a society, it would inevitably end in like societal collapse. And not to get, uh, I don't know how political y'all get on, on your shows. Go or anything. For it. <laughs> Go. Go you may, you may yeah. recall the, the uh, insurrection last year. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. you, you may have noticed it in the news. Made a few um, papers here and there. It did. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. it circulated a little bit. Well, one of the guys who was in the um, who made it into the Capitol or into the, the into um, Congress uh, was where you know he had um, like this a the BDU. Shaman? No, 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 not oh. that fool. Uh, that I was about to say something else. That, that guy. you can. We uh, swear it's okay. No, all uh, the time. If you have your brand to protect, I understand. No, but, no, uh, I, no, no. <laughs> fuck them like yeah. just thoroughly but <laughs> yeah. you know i've tried to some some illusion of professionalism um as i'm here in my pajamas uh <clears throat> anyway so no it was I like you're assuming i'm wearing pants <laughs> <laughs> gotcha i'm gonna i'm gonna mute my screen before we take a break um <laughs> no. so uh no one of the guys who made it in who was like wearing um mili you know um BDUs. bulletproof vests and some other stuff yeah. and bdus and that kind of thing and he had like zip is that ties. the guy that had all the yeah the strip cuffs or zip and he cuffs. had a punisher logo on his chest yeah That's right right which is an emblem of and and i have a lot of mixed feelings about the folks that participated in their insurrection some of which i think were just really caught up in a moment and some of whom are undeniably criminally involved and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. um but I think what speaks to that, and this is actually something we talk about in this paper that I'm working on with my friends, is that there is a desire to, mm -hmm. to correct an injustice, whether or not that injustice is actual or perceived, mm -hmm. that the Punisher acts as a sort of catharsis for. Um, and, and yeah, that speaks to us on a very human level, but we always have to remember that second part from, from Goodwin, and that is that embracing this solution is a real big problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, you know, piggybacking on that, uh, the movie Equilibrium, my brother and I, uh, he introduced it to me years ago. And at the end of it, he's like, so what'd you think? I was like, it's really good. He's like, what'd you think of the ending? You know, we're in a spoiler alert on a 20 year old movie now um, uh, where everybody just decides to not take their meds anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, ooh, in current context, that'd be an interesting look. Uh, but uh, I, I, I said, what do you mean? He's like, do you think that's actually better? Like when everybody's just acting like Landrew has told them it's festival day and they're going ape shit, you know? <laughs> uh, so it's like, Tomorrow you know, it's a rest day. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's, yeah, yeah. it's the start of the purge. Like, right. Yeah. You know, yeah. but you're absolutely right. There's that, that desire to that, that desire for vigilantism, but there needs to be that recognition that if, if we have vigilantism, a lot of shit is broken down and this is, this is, by no well, means a good mm -hmm. idea okay if, if if we resort to vigilantism as a society then we are giving up on basically every socio-political advancement we've made since roughly the bronze age yeah gonna gonna go out on a limb here and, and trace it back to that like yeah we're giving like, up do, on do having we, a society we, 
yeah, do we want to go back to like the House of Atreus and and war with Troy? Like if, if we're talking about going back to that that heroic sure. age of of civilization, then yeah, okay, sure, do it. But I I don't I don't I don't like that idea. Yeah, me. <laughs> like, you know, I, I like I like plumbing. I mm-hmm. like, you know, I like not uh, sacrificing birds. Yeah. That's true. You know. I don't know. It depends. Are we talking about like Canadian geese? Because I have no problem with that. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> well, they're evil. They're, they are. They're, yeah. No. As I a mean, as a Mexican American uh, whose father is an immigrant, I feel like the actual immigration threat are Canadian geese. That is what we should be worried about from a national security perspective. Hundred um, percent agree. I hundred percent agree. I have no opinion on this, and I will go with you both. I, yeah, I, no, cobra chickens. They're I, evil. Yes. Oh, they're okay. Horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I found a DD um uh like stat block for geese, mm-hmm. and they are, they are, and this is my headcanon now for real life as well. They are um chaotic evil and they yeah. speak infernal because <laughs> they are in fact outsiders, not native <laughs> to this plane. <laughs> you know, now that you you mention it, um, I'm I'm just thinking about like the, the history of geese with Rome and what's what I tell my students all the time. The Romans are not the good guys. They never were. Uh, but uh, so I don't know if you know the story of how geese saved Rome. I have no idea. Oh yeah. So the, the, the Romans were being beset by the Gauls. I think it was, it was in the 400s BCE. So yeah, it sounds like the Gauls. Yeah, it would have been some Celtic group. Yeah. Or yeah, it might've yeah. been a neighbor that they'd picked a fight with. And the Romans always picked fights that they couldn't win. And then they found a way to win. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it's wonderful how much they tell on themselves in their own writing too. Like even though they're mythologizing, they're like, he wasn't the smartest or the strongest or the quickest, but we made the right decision at the right moment, you know? Uh, but so they had seven <laughs> gates to guard. The problem with guards is they can be bribed. They can fall asleep. They can be snuck up on. So they put a gaggle of geese at each gate nobody snuck into the city because you could slit one goose's throat. The rest of them are going to beat you to death <laughs> and they're going to be really loud. <laughs> so this yep. absolutely fits your head cannon because the geese were the guardians of the bad guys. Yeah. That's amazing. We're going to find out years from now that uh Kerberos was not a dog. It was <laughs> a large goose. It was a three-headed goose. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, that makes sense because he's described by uh, Virgil as having long neck and a large sloping back. So, oh, oh my wow. God! We've and they threw something. cakes to him. Oh my God! They just brought bread down to the underworld. Some old stale bread. <laughs> yeah, proof. Really? Hard tack is the only thing that would survive the journey. Yeah. <laughs> right. Got him, uh, so, and you were worried about losing professionalism with us. Um, so. Most of Frank Castle's foes were very gangy and very New York-y. Um, he infiltrates an Italian mafia in war zone. Um, and it's rarely anything else. He's always fighting gangs in his series that, that you know are coming out that all end in 95. Uh, what I find interesting is that uh, Punisher came out and up right as America was hitting the worst times of the 80s economically. Um, the economy grew by only 2.5% in 1986. Uh, the recession was pretty clearly extant in the U.S. by that point, and the Dow plummeted in October of 87. Uh, trickle down wasn't living up to its name, other than the fact that we were all getting peed on. Uh, and this all combined with urban blight and drug use, or at least the perception of it, uh, to really look like the whole system was breaking down, specifically in New York. 
not to mention the racial strife in New York at the time, the attack on reporters like Dan Rather. Um, New York is just, you know, a, a churning inferno of, of madness and people are blaming, uh, what's his name? Was it, it wasn't no, Daly's in Chicago. Uh, yeah, it was Koch, Koch. And then it was, um, Dinkins. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds uh, right. Yeah. Uh, so New York at that time was seen as a very crimey place. Um, and this means that the cops can't or won't do what they're supposed to. So vigilante. So in the in the popular perception, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. And sure, again, yeah. there's that that thing that that you were talking about, Gabriel, like the 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 desire to right a wrong and the catharsis that comes from that, um, mm-hmm. the the sexual release that comes from spraying your enemies. Unmetal genitalia. No, yeah. absolutely. There, yeah. There you yeah. go. Yeah. See, I can get away with saying that with you here. Ed would just be laughing at me and mad at me. <laughs> I, I want a way to make that into merch, but if you just print that on like a hoodie, that's, it, that doesn't get, evoke the right. <laughs> you make a hoodie where the, the pocket has a hood under it that drops down. I am and very it covers the crotch. <laughs> it covers the crotch, and across the crotch, it says gunmetal genitalia. So it's a two hoodie, two-headed hoodie. Just like earlier today on Facebook, I got to ask you, why do you always have to make it fucking weird? Why? So Ed actually why? punned a little bit on eggs earlier today. Yeah. And he said, he even said, I need to get the good ones out of the way before Damien poaches them all. Cause I do puns mm-hmm. for a living in addition to teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and it paid for Christmas for like four years. And my daughter even said, she's like, you're, you're not funny. I'm like, no, demonstrably I am. People pay money for this. She's like, I don't believe you. I said all of Christmas last year, was because of these jokes. She's like, are you serious? I'm like, and all of Christmas this year will be too. And she's, she looked at me dead in the eye. She was five, six. And she looked at me, she's like, I could do without the presents. <laughs> I was so proud. <laughs> I so have, hurt. I have, I have never admired your daughter more. I know. So I'll let her know <laughs> oh, that God. she peaked at six. That was a call uh, shot on the kneecaps. Goodness it gracious. It was, dude. It was, whoo, man, I got galulied. Uh, but... <laughs> Uh, so, so Ed made a bunch of egg jokes and I said, you know, I just, I just jumped on there. And the only thing I said was, you know, if you want to make an omelet, you have to have sex with the Amish. <laughs> I was Maybe. about to say, I was about to say, come again, but that is not the phrase. <laughs> to follow up. Well, it is for Rumspringer. Let me tell you, <laughs> I still think we need to remix uh, Rump Shaker with Rump Springer. Rump Springer like there needs yeah. to be, you know, with that saxophone going. Somewhere, somewhere there's an unfortunate film named Raw Springer. Um, <clears throat> oh, Lord. God, I hope my boss doesn't listen to this. Uh, <laughs> no one does. Don't worry. No, don't worry about it. Ed no doesn't one. even listen to this. So, so all right. So, um, you've got Vigilante gaining popularity through half of a decade of crime being on the rise, right? You've got all this stuff going on, but as it starts to decline, because crime did start to decline in the 90s, so did the comic. And by 95, all the Punisher titles evaporated. It doesn't mean he's gone forever, but there's a clear message to end all Punisher stuff, even though it was 1995. Marvel was super struggling as it was in 95. As, As I've said, there is a convergence of Marvel, DC, pro wrestling, all of these things are struggling mightily in 1995. It's they, they seem to be the laggingest of indicators of, of economic uh, hard times. Cause as the rest of the economy is going up, these things are falling apart. 
Um, and so canceling redundant series when the company is past its salad days is not necessarily an opprobrium against the Punisher. However, in New York, crime was not uh, was on the decline. Uh, and uh, throughout the 90s, crime was falling. And what was interesting was that it was an unexpected fall. Uh, Stephen D. Levitt, an economics professor in the University of Chicago, inverted the question, though. He said, we shouldn't look at why crime fell in the 90s, but rather why it was on such a sharp incline leading up to that point. Um, and he also pointed out that the main explanations of why, why it was falling, you have a good economy, changing demographics, better policing, which was the main claim of New York gun control, concealed carry, capital punishment. He said all of those had minimal impact. They didn't, they didn't change it. But he did say, if you increase policing in general, which they did, and you had higher incarceration rates, which I, I think that that's a, a sad yeah, solution if that's yeah. the case, um, the drop off of crack and the long-term impact of legalized abortion, he said all of those did have an impact. The first two are pretty bleak, but they're also arithmetically sound. Like you lock more people up, there's less people to do crime. And there's also less people to do crime too. Yeah. So mm -hmm. uh, the, the second two make a lot of sense, actually. Uh, the, the, the legalized abortion and uh, the drop off of crack makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, nonetheless, uh, it's, 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 it's a really bleak story. Um, it, the taste for vigilante superheroes still dries up in such an environment. And once they pulled these three ongoing titles, there were limited runs in 1999, um, uh, up through 1999. And that kind of became the norm. Like every once in a while, we'd have another Punisher series, you know, a four issue here, a six issue there, that kind of thing. But there's nothing long-term sustainable in 2001 when Marvel Knights picks it up in August of 2001. August of 2001, the Punisher comes out. Hmm. In New York. Wow. Yeah, it's a very different, <laughs> it's very different zeitgeist. Uh, America had just been through its most contentious election ever to that point yeah. since 1876. Um, and in as much as I like to blame everything on 9-11, that didn't actually seem to have much impact on this particular comic, probably because Punisher's street level and 9-11 mm -hmm. was a much bigger deal than even he could do anything about. Mm-hmm. So in 2004, Garth Ennis rejuvenates the brand again. He gets a five-year, 75-issue run out of it. Um, now That man has a strange dance with the devil. Doesn't he, though? Yeah. <laughs> he tells a compelling story, but when he's winking and nodding at the camera, it's a bit much for me. It really? I mean, it's... it's uh, okay, and Ed, correct me on who this is. Not hmm. Alan Moore, not, not Michael. I mix up these three guys all the time. Mike Miller? No. Roger, not Roger. Oh, uh, uh, Miller. Frank Miller. Frank Miller. Frank Miller. Yeah. yeah. Frank Miller. I'm terrible with names of, of authors. Um, but uh, Frank Miller tells a very compelling story. He really but likes hurting she's, women. She's the in amount of baggage that man carries around. Good yeah. Lord Almighty. At some point, he began to drink his own Kool Aid and became a parody of himself. <laughs> yes. Well, that that, that that exacerbates that exacerbates all of the problems yes yeah. mm -hmm. that is that is there's a great oh and now i don't remember the webcomic artist's name but there there was a uh a webcomic uh that was a, a parody of working in retail it was about a, a bunch of people working in a toy store but but one of one of this this author's like side comics that he did one time was all right if you, you just see a, a guy who kind of vaguely looks like Frank Miller sitting in front of a laptop and there's a faceless figure pointing a gun at his head. And he says, Frank Miller, 
your job is to now write a full page of text. You've got to write a story that doesn't say anything in, in which nothing bad gets said about or done to a woman. And, and Frank Miller types W looks around H looks back. And then the last, last panel is just horse, 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 blam. You know, like, <laughs> like I'm, 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 I'm struggling through um, Miller's run on Daredevil uh, on the, yeah. the first, the, the first handful of, of uh, issues. Not because it's not good storytelling. It is for Great the most part. It's very compelling. He, he really does a lot with Daredevil, but the way he writes Black Widow is mm. <laughs> grotesque. It, yeah. it is. There's, there's a scene, there's a scene where, where uh, Murdoch as Daredevil saves one of his exes because she's about to die. And it's what you do as a superhero. Right. And then sure. he's like, he's holding her as she's like passed out on the floor because of course she's passed out and like black widow swoops in at the last minute and they've just, you know, kind of had this on again, off again sort of relationship. And then without even confronting and finding out, which is weird for a spy to not find out what just happened. She says something along the lines of, clearly I can't keep his heart. So I just need to learn how to move on. How will I ever like live my life or whatever? It's like, Oh my God, this is, this is the cold war super spy. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Natasha goddamn Romanov. Really? Right. Exactly. Really? Right. Like, you know, who, who, who canonically has taken down whole, whole shield teams, like Mm -hmm. because her bath got interrupted. Like, Knew that really? the red room did not, you know, prepare her for these kind of emotional and emotional oh entanglements. Like, even though it right. exactly did that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. Oi, moi. All right. That's yeah, that's ridiculous. That's, it's gross. Yeah. All right. So you know, nine eleven. Uh, so <laughs> up a little. Um. So uh, and Garth Ennis, uh, he's doing his thing. Um. It's also possible that the federal weapons uh, assault ban, assault weapons ban, uh, in October, uh, sunsetting, mm. October of two thousand four, okay. um, and all the buzz around that made the Punisher a more appealing hero. It could also be that Fallujah, as well as many other aspects of our invasion of Iraq, a sovereign nation, and Afghanistan, another sovereign nation, were in the news regularly. Um, the shield was in its prime in on TV, and so was 24. And there's a lot of real and unreal violence in our zeitgeist. So at that point, the Punisher kind of fits in. Um, he's there for the civil war, for a real moral dilemma, um, for the underground heroes, uh, and uh and and that brings us essentially to Obama. But I think his I relationship. Can... Oh, go on, go, please. Sorry, sorry. Um, his relationship with Captain America in Civil War and in Secret Empire is fascinating um but yeah anyway we can talk more about that later oh uh, yeah it's uh it's actually why don't we end with that for this episode and then uh in the next episode we can pick up and and really get into the meat of what uh what you're here for uh which (laughs) told you i was gonna damien it yeah Uh, but yeah but yeah his relationship with with cap go for it like yeah um 
So, and just as a side note, when you said he ended in 95, part of me wonders if maybe the hyperviolence of the Punisher at the time was starting to wane on people because that's what the late 80s into the 90s were known for in their comics. Yeah. That's what we had with Deadpool. And if you are living in that kind of environment, if you are very concerned, if you're inundated with media about the violence of the world, then your escapism being hyperviolent in the way that the 90s comics were was probably kind of a put off. Um, yeah. So anyway, but no, um, so Cap and and uh, Frank's relationship is interesting in civil war he sides with cap and mm -hmm. he does it for partly ideological reasons about you know not wanting to register and all that kind of stuff imagine frank castle not wanting to abide by the law right right um, <laughs> big shock slam right. dunk and in, yeah. in, in the plot twist no one saw coming um <laughs> so but there's this interesting moment where castle and is meeting with the uh the resistance right the mm -hmm. folks who are anti-registration and obviously uh cap is leading the, the meeting and two villains show up to right. their envoys to um express their support because obviously the villains don't want this either most of them don't some do um some were like and, oh i get to hunt down this guy because now i know his name right and, and some, i get paid well and someone yeah i can you kidding i can be an agent and be paid to do villainy that's amazing right um and and I can write it off on my taxes, I guess. I don't know. Um, anyway, so like Castle just unloads on him. And these are like seedless characters. And he just machine guns them down right there in front of God, Cap, and everybody. Just <laughs> dead. Um, and Cap loses his mind and like mm -hmm. grabs Castle and just start and like punches him and starts fighting him and, and just wailing on him. And he says, why aren't you fighting back? Why aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you defending right. yourself? And he says, I couldn't not against you, never against you. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think someone else remarks, it might be Spider-Man. It might be Hercules or one of the others there that says, you know, they are effectively in Castle's mind, like two sides of the same coin. You know, he idolized Cap as a kid, probably joined the military in part because of him, that kind of thing. So how could he ever turn against Cap? And that sounds kind of silly and a little hokey. Um, but then when you fast forward to Secret Empire, when we have Nazi Cap, right? So right. for those who aren't familiar, there was the the thing where they made Cap into a Hydra agent because yeah. of magical, the, cube, the, the cosmic cube and all that kind of stuff, rewrote reality. And Castle ends up siding with uh, Nazi Cap. And when asked about it, actually, there's an interesting scene with Black Widow where she hands his ass to him. Uh, it's, 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 I love the art and also it's just cool. Yeah. Um, and she says, uh, uh, Castle, I never took you for the sentimental sort. Why are you doing this? And he says, mm -hmm. there's a chance that uh, I can, he says, maybe I can get my family back. And if I can't, we can make sure this never happens again. Also, he has a blind devotion to Captain America. Um, and that sort of following that imagery, wherever it goes, that symbolism because of what Cap represents to so many people. And he's a complicated figure with a complicated history. But like that is a great example, I think, of how senses of unity and, and, and these ideologies of what it means to be American are so easily manipulated and so mm. easily contorted. Um, and it's especially for those of us who operate from places of pain, right? Because we get a sort of sense of community and belonging in these grand uh, narrative archetypes in history that, you know, we can say, I'm an American and I'm this, that, and the other, and I, you know, do the right thing. And I think that vulnerability, because we often think of Castle as being unfeeling, but there is a layer of him that just doesn't stop feeling on some level. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's extremely exploitable. So, yeah.
Yeah, I don't think he's unfeeling so much as he's joyless. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, You know, and and, and like you said, it's extremely exploitable because he is perpetually aggrieved. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Mm -hmm. he was made into a weapon and now we're pointing him, you know, and and they talk about that in the series, which I know you're going to jump into uh, when we talk about the series. Um, But uh, yeah, he's, uh, I, I really find it interesting that he, when he's on the side, I'm going to, I'm going to say right and wrong when he's on the side of right, he's on the side of the resistance. Um, and, and there are certainly issues with, you know, do we want people running around essentially vigilanteing? No, I don't. But at the same time, I don't like people losing their civil liberties. Uh, but, uh, I, I consider him on the side of right. Cause he's, he's on, not because he's on cap side, but he's on the side that cap chose for the right reasons yeah. in the civil war. Uh, and then when he's with uh, with him in Secret Empire, he's on. I'm gonna. I I don't think it's the side of right. I, I'm gonna come out against Hydra. I know it's a bold stance to take. Yeah, but yeah, controversial. It is. Uh, the internet's yeah. gonna eat you alive. <laughs> I'm so woke <laughs> for being anti Hydra. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but he's on he's on the side of right in scare quotes because it is the side of Cap, and just that that idea of like you said that blind loyalty that that need to follow your avatar no matter how orange he might turn uh no matter (laughs) how how he (laughs) might think that nazis are very fine people indeed um boy (laughs) yeah so there was a guy there you go uh in germany i was i was in germany uh in 2019 no 2018 I was in Berlin and I was, I was in the, the museum. Uh, it's called the topography of terror. And just outside of it, our tour guide was talking to us about his grandfather who served in the Wehrmacht, uh, who, who was a loyal German. Um, and he was 19 and, it, and he's very clear about his grandpa was on the wrong side of things, but his reasoning was I'm fighting for my country. Mm-hmm. I'm a Patriot. This is what I do. You know? And that that's a hard thing to argue against unless you're going to dismantle that whole thing, which I'm more than happy to, but it's hard to do against a 19 year old when your country's being bombed by the allies. Yeah. So yeah. his grandpa fought for the Nazis and he talks about it and he talks about talking to his grandpa later and how his grandpa, you know, everybody said, yeah, Nazis is bad afterward, but grandpa still didn't say I was on the wrong side of things. I was fighting for my country. And it's that, you know, I'm not with them. I'm with us, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. And that's yeah. easily manipulated. And I said, I said, it is amazing how easy it is for bad people to do bad things when they're standing on the shoulders of good people who think they're doing the right thing. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so. I, I, I I totally get that. Uh, as a as a Southerner, um, in North Carolina, uh, yeah. growing up with images of the Confederacy and things like that, like mm. part of what I think folks don't understand in these discussions of the Confederacy is that there is a lot of complexity here. Not in terms of who was right and who was wrong. Um, the South was absolutely wrong. The North was happy to benefit from the South's wrongness for a long period of time until they broke free. Mm-hmm. But all the same, the South was wrong. Um, but when you think about this on the micro level. 
of individuals and you read journals and diary entries from people who think that they're doing this for the right reasons that to them it folks who are not even addressing it from the aspect of race but from a matter of like this is our attempt at making an independent nation like our forefathers did in the revolution things right. like that and whatever real or delusional perceptions of reality they may have been operating with it's a weird thing where like they whatever their motivations however noble they may have been in their own minds for pulling the trigger of a rifle they were still doing it in service of a great evil yes um and both can be true at the same time i ain't gonna say anything better after that <laughs> yeah um, i'm not even gonna try so okay. uh we're gonna cut this one short. I'm a, we're gonna talk about what we're reading real quick, uh, and 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 whatnot, and how to contact us. And then in the next episode, I promise, uh, we will get to uh, the the Punisher, uh, the the I was gonna say the animated series, but it's the opposite of that. It's live. Who would make a cartoon? <laughs> uh, for kids. Network would. Oh yeah, big yeah, part. yeah, yeah, good, good part. <laughs> True. Yeah. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna talk about the the uh, the the Netflix series uh, in great depth. Uh, okay. so, uh, start with you, Ed, what are you reading? Uh, well, uh, like immediately right now, uh, I'm reading a lot of student work. Um, and since I teach middle schoolers, um, it's an exercise in pain, sorrow, and grief. Um, <laughs> because, because grades are due Sunday night. So Boy. I'm speaking of, you know, Dante's Inferno. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> uh, how about you? I am reading a book uh, again. Uh, I'm not quite finished with it. Um, it's not showing up on the camera. It's called yeah, All fun. of the Marvels uh, by Douglas okay. Wolk. Uh, and I think I could be wrong. Uh, but Gabe, did you recommend this book at some time? Uh, I don't think so. I'm not familiar with that book. Oh, okay. Um, so uh, I must have caught it from someone else then. Uh, but it's essentially, it is doing all the things that we do. Um, you know, all the different chapters are, are, they're very, very fun. My parents sent it for me uh, for my birthday. Um, but uh, for instance, uh, the, the first couple chapters are um, where to start or how to enjoy being confused. Uh, the curse of the weird, uh, the junction to everywhere, monsters uh, and rising and advancing the Vietnam years, the mutant metaphor, uh, thunder and lies, what Kings do, the iron Patriot acts and on and on. Like it's, it's nice good chunky uh pair uh not paragraphs uh chapters um dealing with very specific aspects of of comic books uh, nice a lot of fun cool it's very cool gabe do you get to read anything um i should be reading my students papers <laughs> i i i am teaching five classes this semester Wait. i am woefully behind in grading um but i do feel so good to that. hear somebody else say that thank you I'm, I'm sorry to kind of talk over you there but thank you for no, validating look, me that way I'm, I'm so that's why i'm here ed is <laughs> avoiding that yeah. um so no uh, but i am reading actually um a book called unstable masks which i got mm -hmm. for christmas um but it is unstable masks and I'm forgetting the, what the second part of the title is, but it's basically a um, analysis of comic books through the lens of critical whiteness studies. And so for those who are not aware, critical whiteness studies on the surface sounds like what you do when you're hanging out at Starbucks and you just take notes. Mm -hmm. That is not the case here. Um, <laughs> critical whiteness studies is a offshoot of uh, critical race theory looking predominantly at how media constructions center whiteness in a way that um, alienates 
folks of color and other marginalized identities while also dehumanizing whiteness at the same time like the the idea of what it means to be white and the sort of um spectacle uh, mm -hmm. and the way in which it's oppressive to a lot of people so it's but it's looking at comic books in particular mm -hmm. and it's great because comic studies is a relatively new field it's you can go back to like the 1950s with uh, Frederick Wortham and the seduction of the innocent and all his stuff. Uh -huh. But like modern comics in the way that we understand it now as a field, it only started in like the mid to mid to late eighties to early nineties. Mm -hmm. So this, it fills a gap that has long existed in the field and it's, it's a lot of fun. So. Cool. Ooh, very fun. cool. Yeah. All right. Well, if uh, people want to find you, Ed, where would they look? Uh, they, well, uh, okay, on social medias, I was about to say. I don't <laughs> want to give out, you know, yeah, no. Mm. Um, no, no, no. Uh, I just I just moved. I got people to get away from. Um, <laughs> if they want to find me, I am E.H. Blaylock on uh, Twitter. I am Mr. Blaylock on Instagram and on uh, the Tiki Talk, uh, where I don't post anything. I just follow people like, like Gabriel. Um, and... Yeah, that's where I can be found. Where can you be found, Mr. Harmony? Uh, well, let's see. If the pandemic ever lightens up, you can find me in Sacramento on the first Friday of almost every month, Slinging Puns with Capital Punishment. We had to cancel two live shows on account of Delta or Omicron. Uh, and so a couple we'll of letters see. farther down the alphabet there. Yeah, no kidding. So we'll see if Pi kicks me in the ass. Uh, so mm, um, Pi. Yeah, <laughs> my ass. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, or I, you can. <laughs> I can't laugh as loud as these jokes deserve because my kid is sleeping in the next room. But just <laughs> that's a good excuse. Um, but uh, you can also find me on the Twitter and the Insta at Duh Harmony. Two H's in the middle. Uh, you can find me there. Um, I lurk mostly on TikTok. I have no content. Uh, but speaking of which. Uh, Gabe, where can people find you? Uh, milling about in your local Walmart for the most part. Um, <laughs> I like to remember my roots. Uh, so <laughs> no, I am, um, uh, I am on uh, TikTok at doctor underscore C I'm on Twitter and Instagram at GA Cruz PhD. And, um, I also have a podcast called office hours for Dr. C where, you know, me and my buddy, you know, do short form, you know, com uh, content on like pop culture and stuff so yeah cool nice cool very cool definitely well uh for a geek history of time thank you very much for joining us for this episode and can't wait to hear you on the next one uh dr gabriel cruz uh i'm damien harmony and i'm ed blaylock and until next time keep rolling 20s <laughs>